Kafer Butterfield at the World Economic Forum. And I'm Miriam Vogel with Equal AI, and this is In AI We Trust. Hello, Kay, great to see you. Likewise, uh, each week it's a joy to come and do this podcast with you, Miriam. Could not agree more, Kay. I do look forward to this. So what's going on this week? Uh, well, I just came from a conversation with the European Union and mm-hmm. European Parliament, in fact, about the, the their proposed new AI Act and discussion about how that might find its way into other parts of the world in the same way that GDPR did, but also, you know, what else is going on in the legislative process around the world and thinking about AI, which I think is going to be a great way for me, certainly, to get my head around the sort of things that Renee is going to talk about um, in terms of policing and criminal justice and and the laws that are necessary in those areas. Well, it sounds like you are having a very interesting day. I likewise am so looking forward to our conversation with Renee Cummings today, and also a conversation I am so privileged to participate in tonight at Howard University, uh, where we'll be talking with public interest law students and engineering students about AI and the AI risk framework underway at NIST. I'm really looking forward to hearing the students' perspective on AI in general, on the risks, on the benefits. It's always refreshing and important to hear what digital natives bring to this conversation. And so I am really looking forward to that, as well as tomorrow, our bittersweet final badge session, where we'll talk about policy and and get to close out with these executives with whom we've spent six months talking about responsible AI uh, before we launch our next session just next week. <laughs> Absolutely. But as, as you say, it's bittersweet because, you know, if you're prepared to spend six months in a course of study, it actually means that you are committed to it. And you and I think we've seen that amongst all the participants. I agree. I agree. Well, I We'll look forward to that, but right now I'm truly looking forward to having this conversation with you and Renee Cummings. So let's not wait a minute further. Let's dive in. This week, we're delighted to be joined by Renee Cummings, a pioneering AI ethicist, criminologist, criminal psychologist, data ethicist, therapeutic jurisprudence specialist, and urban technologist. In 2020, Renee joined the University of Virginia's School of Data Science as the school's first data activist in residence. Renee is also a Columbia University community scholar, founder of Urban AI, and an East Coast regional leader for women in AI. Renee's studies focus on the impact of artificial intelligence on criminal justice, specifically in communities of color and incarcerated populations. Renee founded Criminal Justice Intelligence Inc., which works with governments in the Caribbean to strengthen crime prevention, incorporate new technologies in existing crime prevention strategies, and develop behavior and hardware strategies that interlink to reduce vulnerabilities and tailor more proactive approaches to crime control and crime reduction. Renee has also used her experience to train police officers and law enforcement agents to decrease homicide and gun and gang violence. She believes in the extraordinary possibilities of ethical AI and is committed to using AI to save lives and to deploy real-time solutions to urban challenges. Renee, it's just such a pleasure to have you with us. Thank you so much for joining. And we look forward to what I think is inevitably going to be a lively and important discussion. So let me start with question number one. We want to begin by acknowledging the moment that we're in. We are recording this podcast during Black History Month. 
we are mindful of the particular relevance of addressing discrimination resulting from AI and the importance of having these discussions every day, but particularly in this month. Can you share with our listeners why you would or would not argue that discussing the development of safe, inclusive, responsible AI is particularly relevant during Black History Month celebrations and remembrances. Thank you so much, of course, for inviting me, for including me in the conversation, and for us to be having this very vibrant discussion. I think it is so critical because so much of AI and data science is about civil rights. And I think when we think about our Black History Month, we think about legacies, and we think about extraordinary American legacies that have changed the world. And as we think about AI, one of the things that I always say is an algorithm has the opportunity to create a legacy. And as when we think about uh, concepts such as bias and discrimination, when it comes to designing and deploying AI and new and emerging technologies. We understand why it is so critical to have these conversations because much of, of AI happens without us knowing. We don't know when an algorithm denies us an opportunity, but what we do know is that an algorithm can change the trajectory of a life course in real time. When we think about who is determined or defined as credit worthy or credit unworthy. When we think about who gets a, a scholarship and who does not get that scholarship. When we think about finance and mortgages and redlining and the opportunities to build generational wealth and equity and social capital and economic capital, then we understand why this conversation is so crucial because AI has the potential to transform society for good. But what we don't want to do is use new technologies to create old biases, old stigmas, old stereotypes, and old systems that continue to undermine the future of individuals in society, particularly Black, Indigenous, people of color, to create extraordinary legacies in the United States as they have been known to do for generations. Renee, thank you. You've given us so much there to digest and think about and, and grow from having heard from you. So we are certainly going to ask follow-ups to so many of the important points you raised. But before we go further on that, we dove straight into our shared history and we also want to ask you about your history. You talk about the importance of the AI legacy, which is such an important point, and you yourself have such an impressive legacy already. Can you tell us a little bit about your journey in the, to the field of ethical AI? And how do you think your background in criminology and social justice advocacy influenced your outlook and approach to the use of artificial intelligence? Well, thank you so much. What, what an excellent uh, question. I think when we think about AI, and when we think about data science, and when we think about using new and emerging technologies for good, we always think about criminal justice because many of the opportunities for AI to do extraordinary work, particularly in criminal justice, have not been able to deliver. When we think about bias and discrimination, many of the examples come out of the criminal justice system or the deployment of new and emerging technologies on streets. So when we think about facial recognition, when we think about the risk scores that are being used in the criminal justice system, when we think about surveillance technologies and the ways they are being deployed in particular communities of color, then we understand how important it is for criminal justice to be the conscience of artificial intelligence. And as a, a criminologist, one of the things I've always said is I am passionate about stretching the imagination of data science and AI to ensure we design the tools that really transform the criminal justice system in a way that is justice-oriented, trauma-informed, equitable, diverse, and inclusive. So my journey into AI begins as a criminologist who sees that there are many challenges to the deployment of algorithms and algorithmic decision-making systems in the criminal justice system. And many of these tools were creating these zombie predictions for black and brown defendants, uh, defining them at, at risk, defining them at greater risk 
that white defendants and understanding that there were some challenges in the ways in which we were using historical data to build data sets. An understanding that was required would be understanding the kinds of histories attached to data in the criminal justice system, understanding the history in the United States in particular, how the justice system was designed and developed and the kinds of challenges when it comes to systemic racism. So if it is we have not designed an accurate and culturally appropriate and trauma-informed way to measure individuals or to measure futures or to measure legacies or to measure the impact of the criminal justice system on communities of color, then what we have would be challenged data sets. When we think about the history of policing in the United States and the challenges in black and brown and indigenous uh, communities, then we understand why criminal justice is an extraordinary space for us to ensure that what we are doing when it comes to AI is accountable, is transparent, is explainable, is fair, is ethical, and really understands uh, a safety critical space as well. So it is my journey as a criminologist that moved me into the space of AI ethics and then into the space of data activism, which is so critical to understanding the power, the privilege, and the politics inherent in the ways in which we design technology and understanding that what we need to do as we move forward is to bring that justice-oriented, trauma-informed approach to the ways in which we design, develop, and deploy AI and new and emerging technologies. Renee, that, that's full of, of wonderful comments. Thank you so much for that. And, and obviously, you know, being a social justice advocate is really about identifying the injustices to our society which you just illuminated a whole a whole bunch of them in order to mitigate the harms and eliminate the prejudices. So when it comes to the use or abuse of AI, where do you think the greatest threats um, from this technology, are, what are the greatest threats um, this technology poses to our society and our community within our society and why? And I know you've already talked about criminal justice, but I know you have a much wider lens than that. You know, when I think about this technology, I don't like to always think about AI in the terms of risk. I love to think about it in the terms of rewards. And what we have seen is the power, the pervasiveness and the promise of AI has extraordinary potential to transform the world for better. What we have the opportunity to do is to really reimagine society and systems and really build systems that are equitable, that are justice informed, um, that are diverse and that are inclusive, but we would always have challenges. And those challenges come from the ways in which we design the technology and often the thinking behind the design of that technology. And often that thinking is really infused with implicit or subconscious bias that often really creates more deficits than they create more reward. I think one of the greatest challenges at the moment when it comes to AI would be trust, because what we are looking for is a technology that we can trust, trustworthy AI, responsible technology. But what we are seeing is that this is a moment where there is great distrust in our society. When we think about uh, disinformation, when we think about media manipulation, when we think about content ranking and the entire global information ecosystem, which is now being challenged. When we think about the challenge of data to democracy and data that is used in a way to misinform, we understand that there are critical trust issues around AI. And then when we look at the deployment of technologies uh, in communities of color, where there has been a history and a culture of distrust in this country, when we think about the relationships in communities of color, let's say in the United States, between communities and law enforcement, social services, child protection, 
housing, now with COVID and healthcare, what it, it really brought to the fore with the disparities in society and the inequities in communities of color when it comes to healthcare. When we think about the, re the history of research in the United States with communities of color and how many communities were used as guinea pigs in research, then we understand that if we need trust to deploy this technology, how do we deploy a technology that needs requisite levels of trust in communities where there is extraordinary distrust? So what is required, I think, at this moment would be civic engagement and community engagement around the ways we are thinking about designing and deploying new and emerging technologies such as AI and civil rights because AI presents an extraordinary challenge to civil liberties. And we are seeing that in particular when it comes to surveillance technologies, when it comes to AI-inspired policing or national security or defense, or when we think about uh, AI within the context of finance and mortgages and credit and when we think about just the ways in which we're using AI to build smart cities, and we ask ourselves, these cities are smart for who? You know, who's in these cities and who has access to uh, what's happening in these cities? So when we just think about this whole concept of using data and how data could undermine democracy, I think some of the biggest challenges we are going to see will be trust and bias and discrimination. But I think what we do have is a very unique opportunity to do things in a way that shows that we are, things in a way that show we are committed to the advancement of a society that benefits all. And this is why public interest technology is so important to me. And having uh, the public involved in what is being designed and what is being deployed and understanding that we are all custodians of the common good or the public good. And we have a commitment and a responsibility, a collective responsibility to ensure that we use AI and new and emerging technologies responsibly. Well, it's so reassuring to hear that while you are clearly so deeply aware of the harms uh, that come from bias and come from AI in particular, uh, you remain optimistic. You Very. remain, like Kay and I, uh, steadfast in our commitment to staying optimistic in the power that we can all share um, if we approach this properly. And, and particularly during Black History Month, I think it's such an important conversation and we're so grateful for your input because just like with Black History Month where we have this opportunity and this mandate to look back and see what have we done wrong? Where have we made mistakes that we can correct going forward? How can we celebrate what has been in our past and make it even better going forward? Likewise, I think we'd all agree we're at a critical juncture with AI where we can take this moment to ensure that instead of perpetuating societal harms and bias in AI, as it builds and scales and deploys, um, we can take this moment to build more thoughtful, responsible AI. And I'd love to hear your thoughts on, on what that looks like. So what, what does responsible ethical AI mean in, in your perspective? And are there basic tenets uh, that you believe support responsible ethical AI? And, what are some of the impediments we face in achieving that? Definitely. I think we've got to think or reimagine words like accountability and transparency and explainability uh, if we really want AI that is fair and AI that is ethical. We've also got to think about bringing a justice-oriented approach to the ways in which we design, develop, and deploy technology. We've also got to think about whether or not that lack of an inclusive participatory uh, approach that really uh, lifts up civic engagement is really undermining the imagination of this technology. When we think about uh, some of the great cultural movements and the great political movements and the history uh, of uh, just creativity and culture, we understand why it is so important for us to have an interdisciplinary, multicultural approach 
uh, and a, a really uh, sort of cross-cultural collaborative approach when we're designing uh, technology. Because AI requires all of us. Because if we want to make a technology that represents everything it means to be human, then we have got to use that technology to represent all the wonderful and great things and extraordinary things about what being human is. And that will include a diverse, equitable, inclusive, and always justice-oriented approach. So much of my work uh, looks at uh, due process and duty of care when it comes to AI and why we always need to be ethically vigilant and in the ethical moment when we are designing and deploying uh, this technology. Because for it to be responsible, it has got to be mature because maturity and responsibility go hand in hand. But if we do not bring those diverse voices and we do not bring uh, inclusive innovation into that space, or we do not bring that understanding of how an algorithm could undermine due process and undermine civil liberties and civil rights, then what we will get is a technology that remains immature and that is not responsible. So I think responsible, trustworthy AI requires high levels of honesty when it comes to the ways in which the technology is being designed when it comes to the kind of investment and capital that's being put into the technology, the things that we're designing and who are we designing these things for. I think if we really bring that level of honesty and openness and uh, transparency, then what we are going to get is something that is so much greater than we could ever imagine. Thank you. It's wonderful to listen to you talk about these huge problems and how we can actually think about a future that's positive with the use of artificial intelligence. As I mentioned in my introduction to you, you're a Columbia Community Scholar, and I recommend everybody to go to um, look at the uh, lecture that you gave in 2020, which is called A Double Pandemic, Risking Your Life for Justice, Protesting Police Brutality During COVID-19. In that, you examined sort of this perfect storm of AI, COVID-19, and civil unrest. Now, I wonder whether you could share with our listeners some highlights from that lecture, such as the correlations between racism and healthcare, the tensions between promoting public health and safety with ensuring data privacy and patient protection, as well as some of the dangers, dangerous effects of relying on AI, which you identified, including the recoding of the global distribution of power and justice through surveillance capitalism and the digital chokehold. You touched on some of these things, but but you do it so well in this lecture. So, so give us some highlights. Uh, definitely. I think one of the things that COVID exposed would be the inequities in communities of color. When we looked at how the virus moves through communities, when we look at the impact of those communities, when we look at the fact that many of our frontline workers who were exposed to the virus, who became victims of so many levels of injustice, uh, from healthcare uh, right down to the ways in which uh, benefits and the ways in which, uh, you know, uh, finances or, or housing and many of these things impacted these communities. We understood that uh, there were many things happening at the same time. So COVID really exposed uh, many of the systemic issues with society, particularly systemic racism. And at that same time, we had uh, the Black Lives Movement really coming to the front line because we were at the moment protesting uh, the murder of, of George Floyd and all of the other injustices that were being faced by protesters at that moment. We saw that surveillance technology was being used to uh, really uh, uh, track and trace 
and terrorize many journalists and, and many protesters and many activists. So we were seeing many of the challenges when it came to the lack of an equitable approach or uh, the lack of a diverse approach. Um, it really made us question at that moment what was happening. So we saw in activism, in social justice, in healthcare, uh, in policing, there were many things and there still are many things that we need to deal with. What we saw was the weaponization of technology uh, against communities of color, against individuals who were activists, against allies who wanted to stand with the Black Lives Movement to show that level of collaboration as we moved forward to develop a different kind of culture. Then when we think about police violence, police violence is a public health risk for many individuals who live in high needs and underserved and under-resourced communities. And one of the things that we are seeing with AI-infused policing, when we think of predictive policing and the over-policing of communities of color or high needs, underserved communities, when we think about the ways in which algorithms are being deployed on the streets, when we think about the fact that you could be arrested because of a geofencing warrant or because of mobile forensic technology that's being used or because other AI-inspired tools are being deployed in communities and communities are unaware of the technologies, then we understand what I meant by creating that digital chokehold. Because at the moment, with my work at the University of Virginia as the uh, first data activist in residence, I am developing a public accountability tool that really brings more transparency and accountability and integrity and legitimacy to the work of the police. Because what this tool is able to do is measure the amount of algorithmic force as well as measure the fairness of the algorithms that are being deployed within the context of policing and national security. Security. So it gives communities an opportunity to bring high levels of public oversight to what is being deployed in their spaces, as well as an understanding that communities have a critical role to play in the kinds of technologies that are being deployed, how it's being designed, and where are those resources coming from. So I think what we have seen from 2020 to 2022 is really the need for civic engagement around the deployment and the design of technologies. And what we're also seeing is that we have got to create the space for communities to really have a voice, because in as much as we speak about inclusion and diversity and equity, we need to take these conversations to the people and really get the kind of feedback because communities are producers of data. Communities are producers and curators of knowledge. And we are tapping into that knowledge and monetizing that knowledge as we monetize the data of communities. But communities are not the benefactors of that data in a way that really needs to matter and a way that matters most. Well, it's particularly exciting to hear once again, the positive that you're creating with your work. Um, we are so familiar with the problems that, that you're talking about. And um, I think so many people feel um, they don't know the path forward. And so it's exciting to hear that you're identifying, you're creating some paths forward yourself. We'd love to hear more about your tool. How are you building it in a way that is more community involved? Uh, how are you defining fairness? How are you dealing with some of these challenges in creating responsible ethical AI? And have you seen other progress since your talk in 2020 that based on your recommendations or just general progress elsewhere? Definitely. I always say when you understand the risks, you can really deploy the rewards in a way that is accountable, of course, transparent, uh, responsible, and always equitable and ethical. So one of the things that we are seeing with the tool that I'm designing is the ways in which we are investing, where the resources are going. If the use of technology, uh, let's say among uh, police in particular communities, is more an approach that is uh, about deploying vanity, 
projects or is it something that really lifts up a community or builds our social capital or really reduces violence and, and let's say homicide or if it, it really works to uh, change the lives of juveniles. What we're also looking at would be in those communities, what's the, uh, you know, the use of, of internet? in those, the internet usage in those communities? What's the access to digital technologies? What's the, uh, the rate of digital literacy? And seeing if we could also use this tool, not only as a, a public accountability approach to, to bring more efficient and effective policing, but a ways in which to build uh, data literacy and digital literacy and AI literacy in communities. Because one of the things uh, we always think about would be privacy and our security and public safety. And we can use technology to do great things when it comes to, you know, just really enhancing our quality of life. But what we've got to also understand is that communities need to have a voice in what is happening in those communities. And it comes back to the whole question of trust. So if you have a community where there is distrust between those communities and law enforcement, then if law enforcement tries to deploy a technology, whether the technology is good or whether or not it's biased or, uh, you know, has a discriminatory approach, there are going to be issues. So it's about conversation. It's really about uh, getting the conversation started and it's about empowering communities in uh, AI governance and, and empowering communities when it comes to AI policy and AI development and really bringing a strong public interest technology uh, approach to the ways in which we think about new and emerging technologies. Super, thank you so much, Renee. And of course, we've been talking a lot about um, AI applications such as spatial identification predictive policing and sentencing and the inherent problems that, that you've talked about. So I suppose my question is looking to the future. Do you think there will ever be uses of AI in the criminal justice system that will be safe and acceptable for public use? You've talked about trying to get there, but do you think we will achieve that? I am confident that we will because we have a really uh, strong uh, community of AI ethicists and, and data activists and responsible technologists and data scientists who want to ensure that the products that they design are trustworthy and responsible. So I think it is going to happen. I think it's already happening. I think uh, particularly when we think about some of the women who've been involved, Joy Abulamwili, Deborah Raji, Tim Nid Gabru, um, Dr. Sophia Noble, uh, Meredith Broussard, you know, um, there are so many extraordinary women of color who have been on the front line of ethical AI and responsible technology who are ensuring that there is pushback when pushback is required, who are ensuring that we bring that ethical approach and that justice-oriented approach the ways in which we are doing technology. And I think the more and more we're having conversations and the more interviews we're doing and the more articles that are being written about the deployment, the ethical deployment of, of technology within the criminal justice system. And of course, there's an extraordinary movement uh, when it comes to justice technology. When we think about the work of Ruha Benjamin, and just the extraordinary work she has been doing in the criminal justice space as well, ensuring that when we deploy digital and electronic and AI-inspired tools in the criminal justice system, that we are cognizant of that history. We are cognizant of how uh, we measure. We are cognizant about the trauma that comes with the data set. And I guess a lot of my work uh, circulates uh, a trauma-informed and a justice-informed approach to it as well. So I am confident as a collective, we are going to design the tools that are required. And if there is something that misses the ethical eye, then I think we have a really robust and, and rigorous uh, community of ethicists who provide the guardrails and who can call out um, those uh, technologies when they need to be called out to ensure that they do no harm, to ensure that we do, do not deploy further harm into communities that are really really uh, trying to, to find their way uh, in much of what's happening in the world today. 
I think we'll all take comfort in uh, the fact that you are optimistic that we can build upon these principles that you've articulated that we often talk about on the show. Um, and if they are used and when they are used appropriately, we will get to better outcomes. And so you've talked about some of the important women who are leading us forward in this space and who have really moved the entire field uh, in such an important direction. And I think it's fair to say that Kay and I have also been encouraged through our work, for instance, with the Responsible AI Badge Program with senior executives through the World Economic Forum's Global AI Action Alliance. We've seen some forward-thinking, savvy companies that are starting to develop and deploy in AI in a way that is more inclusive, more safe, and more effective uh, as a result what we often refer to as responsible AI. So when you are advising C-suite executives, what do you tell them is the most important reason why they need to care about responsible ethical AI? And what are a few of the steps you try to leave them with as the most important they can take after the conversation? I think, you know, I, I say that we need an ethical culture because if we want to build uh, AI that is sustainable, then what we want to ensure that there is longevity. For us to deliver on that, we definitely need a culture of ethical AI as the foundation on which we build. I think when it comes to organizations, organizations always think about the bottom line. They always think about their risks. They always think about whether or not legal is going to let this pass or not let it pass. But they also think about crises. And one of the things that you don't want to create with any deployment of any uh, technology or, or any uh, AI-inspired uh, product would be creating a crisis in any community. So when we think about the ways in which we need to avert crises, then we've got to think about civil rights and civil liberties, and we've got to think about justice, and we've got to think about due process. And this is what I, I speak about. I always speak about that ethical due diligence, that ethical vigilance that is required to stay ahead of the game and to ensure that you take a proactive approach and to ensure that you understand the long-term consequences of data and AI on society. An understanding that techno-solutionism may not always be the right answer. And understanding that if it is you're going to deploy a product, you need to get that kind of feedback that comes from an engaged uh, community, that comes from uh, really a uh, civic uh, uh, society. And, and that kind of approach. I think I also speak to the fact that we are building a future society and we are building future legacies. And if we really want to kind to have the kind of society that we are proud of creating, and if we really want to have the kind of future that speaks to what is required to lift up future generations, then we've got to do the right thing. And uh, the time is always right to do the right thing. So I think that's what I, I say I see most of all. And uh, there really should be no cost attached to doing the right thing when you think about the social cost and the human cost of doing the wrong thing. Thank you, Renee. And it's, it's such a joy to, to, for me to hear you talk about you know, we're doing this for the future. We're doing that. This is a future legacy because, you know, so often I talk about we do this for our children because they are that future. And so I just want to follow on with some of the conversation that we've been having about facial recognition and um, the use of AI in criminal justice system. In some jurisdictions, we are seeing some bans. Europe, for example, you know, is, is likely to ban the use of facial recognition in certain circumstances. But I tend to have a, well, I do have a very global lens. And there are many fewer jurisdictions looking to ban these things than there are looking to use them. And so I just wonder whether you've got any suggestions for lawmakers on how they could or should ensure the deployment of responsible AI 
and the reduction of harmful and biased AI if they aren't going to move to legislate or ban, you know, and ban? I think uh, when it comes to thinking about these technologies, I always say in particular, when we think about policing, uh, police internationally have access to an extraordinary amount of technical tools when it comes to reducing crime and violence. So when it comes to crime control or crime prevention. So when you think about adding another tool, you've got to ask yourself, what is the purpose of this, given all the other tools that we have? AI is critical when it comes to advancing policing advancing national security, advancing defense. But we've always got to ensure that we take an ethical approach to the ways in which we are deploying these technologies or think about the ways that we can be uh, deploying harm alongside these technologies. So it comes back always to the data. How confident are you about the data that's being used to build these tools? Are you cognizant of the history of that data? How was that data collected? How was that data analyzed? What was included? What was excluded? How was that data categorized? We've got to think about all of those things. And if it is that we are uncertain or we do not have those answers, it means that we have the ability now to deploy harm, to deploy systems that are going to undermine communities. So if it is we are thinking about a technology, we've got to do our due diligence. But there are just some technologies that are not necessary at this moment, because what they are deploying are more of what hurts than more of what helps. And this is where you've got to pull back. I think there's a need for greater conversation because uh, many uh, law enforcement communities uh, internationally are still not up to speed on what is happening with these technologies. So although we would think about something like intelligence-led policing or predictive policing or precision policing, which really speak about delivering real-time reduction in crime and violence, we've not seen that anywhere. What we have seen would be criminologists and psychologists and psychiatrists and social workers and community representatives coming together with law enforcement to design the kinds of strategies that can deliver reduced crime and violence and these strategies that are supported by ethical technology. So I think what is required would be um, a lot more critical thinking around the deployment of AI-inspired technologies or algorithmic decision-making systems in criminal justice. And what we also need to do is be bring uh, that sector up to speed as well on the harms, on the bias, on the discrimination, on the challenges. So when we are procuring vendors to build these tools or procuring individuals to come into the criminal justice system to really uh, bring more efficiency and effectiveness, we've got to always think about equity. And we've got to always think about the ways in which this technology can create further harm in communities that are already underserved and under-resourced and are really traumatized by the history of law enforcement in those communities. And I think another point you've touched on, in addition to the policy leads here and, and the importance of policymakers in understanding this work, is the importance of diversity. There's just no way around uh, you've mentioned some of the women and women of color who are at the forefront of ensuring that our AI is more ethical, more responsible. Uh, Kay and I often discuss the importance of sustaining diversity in this world of, of technology and AI in particular. And I would love to hear your thoughts. As a, as a woman of color at the forefront of this field, you've been an inspiration for so many to become involved in this work and for us to continue this work. Can you talk a little bit more about the importance of fostering diversity in AI, what it means to have diversity in the field, and particularly for younger people, how do you explain the power at their fingertips? Uh, definitely, I think what diversity is, 
is uh, stretching the imagination of this technology. And that's how I see diversity. And why is diversity critical? Because one of the things we have realized with AI is that we need those interdisciplinary collaborations. AI is just not about math or science or statistics. AI is about society. It's about life. It's about humanity. It's about our future. It's about a sustainable future. So this is why we need those diverse voices. This is why we need inclusive innovation. This is why we need to bring visibility to communities that are underrepresented. And when we speak about diversity, we're not only speaking about race or ethnicity or gender, we're speaking about sexuality. We're speaking about ability. We're speaking about disability. We're speaking about vulnerability. We're speaking about access. There are countries where individuals still don't have equal access to, to the internet or digital technologies or really engaging uh, in that digital space. So for this technology to be mature, and we speak about AI maturity, and we speak about AI we can trust, we need those diverse interactions. Diversity is what is dynamic, and diversity uh, creates the opportunity for so many different approaches and interpretations and perspectives. And I think that's who we are. As human beings, that's who we are as a society and a world. So if we want AI to be reflective of who we are as human beings, then we need that diversity because it is that diversity that is going to inspire creativity and really stretch the ethical, intellectual, and creative imagination of new and emerging technology. Renee, it's been such a pleasure to spend this time with you and, and listen to you. So we always ask the same final question to all of our guests. And in a way, it's a particularly good question, I think, for you, because the question will be, if you had a magic wand to represent one wish to achieve responsible AI, what would that be? But actually, I think that, you know, one of the things I often find myself saying is that AI is not a magic wand which solves one thing. You very helpfully talked about how nuanced policing and predictive policing is. So, you know, we can't just throw AI at it and it'll solve the problem. We have to be intentional about it. So back to that question, if you did have that magic wand, and you wanted to achieve one a thing in responsible AI, what would you wish for? I think what I would wish for is for AI to have the heart and soul of humanity, which is AI bringing an emotionally intelligent approach and understanding the kinds of experiences it takes to build a human being. Mm -hmm. And if it is we are designing this technology as reflective to who we are, I would want AI to really have a conscience that understands what is important about being human. And that is about caring. And that is about bringing the requisite level of sensitivity and emotions to understand what it means to care and definitely uh, bringing more love into the space. What a beautiful answer. You've given us so much today, Renee. Thank you for taking the time, for sharing your deep insights, your inspiration, your optimism. We are really looking forward to following the important work that you're doing, and we know our listeners will be as well. Thank you, thank you for all the work you're doing. Thank you so much for having me. It was definitely a pleasure. Thank you. Well, Kay, as we expected, Renee had so much insight and wisdom. I'm so grateful we got to talk with her today. What were some of the big takeaways for you? Well, I think everything she said was a big takeaway. And so it's actually really difficult to reduce it to just a few things. Um, I loved the way she talked about legacy. 
especially in in this Black History Month, but also the way she talked about legacy in the future, that as we develop and build AI, we are building a future legacy and how important it is to get that absolutely right for the future. And it certainly echoes the way that I try to think about AI and responsible AI, that um, it matters to us, but it really matters to our children and future societies. I agree. And, you know, it seems that so many of our conversations like this poignant conversation with Renee keep coming back to the human and that while we are building and so excited about artificial intelligence, we really need to keep the humans um, both in the loop, uh, in the framing, in our minds as we think through the outcomes. Uh, really is a benefit to humans if we do this properly and really do our disadvantage if we don't. Um, but I love that at the end of the day, she is optimistic. She knows that she and so many of us are, are putting in the time and are having these conversations and doing the work uh, so that we can realize better AI that brings more inclusivity, that brings more civil rights and human rights, uh, where so many of us can be enhanced with the abilities and the benefits that AI offers. Uh, and I was very encouraged to hear that that's her perspective as well. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, the other, I, as I say, so much struck me, but one other thing that I'll just mention was the really idea that you can't just impose AI and say, this is your solution. Yeah. Actually, the solution to all human problems is much more nuanced than anything that currently we can create algorithms to correct. Maybe not in the future, especially if we create the, the AI that cares that Renee was talking about at the end. Yes, so something that I know I'll give much more thought to, I know you will too, and uh, look forward to the many conversations to come. Indeed, it's a pleasure. Subscribe to or download our podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or wherever you get your podcasts. We always welcome your feedback. And if you like the podcast, please rate us or give us a review. To learn more or get involved, visit us at www.equalai.org and www.weforum.org. And a special thanks to NP Agency, without whom this podcast would not be possible.